Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thanks again for joining me here at the back of the range. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 58. Before we get to this week's guest, just wanted to thank everyone that I met at the PGA Merchandise Show in Orlando last week. I had to leave a little earlier than I would have liked, so next year I definitely will spend the majority of the week meeting and talking to all the great people in the golf world that make the pilgrimage each and every year to Orlando. So for those of you that I met, thanks very much for our conversations, and if I did not see you there, there is always next year. So if you're enjoying this podcast, I can't stress this enough. Let me know what you like, and also let me know what types of guests you'd like to see in the future. Whether you'd like to hear some golf course architects or perhaps some instructors, maybe you want to hear some more amateurs or some more players on the PGA or LPGA Tour, please let me know. Feedback is absolutely key. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts or shoot me an email. All of the information that you need is located at thebackoftherange.com. Our social media channels, all that information is listed there, and it's also listed in the show notes of this podcast. So if you've been following and listening to the Back of the Range for a while, you know that we've had some guests with some serious playing resumes. USGA champions, PGA Tour winners, World Golf Hall of Famers. We've had amazing people on this podcast. Our guest this week has an impressive playing resume, but I just, I wish that this episode would have gone on for hours. He is just a tremendous storyteller and a true gentleman of the game. So he played his college golf at the University of Florida. His teammates included Andy Bean, Gary Koch, Andy North, and Fred Ridley. If you don't know those names, go ahead and look them up. Andy North won a couple of U.S. Opens. Fred Ridley's running the Masters. So you might want to dip in and see who those players are. So while he never did turn pro, he did have a solid amateur career that really started to blossom once he entered the senior ranks. He won the British Senior Amateur and the Canadian Senior Amateur in 2011 and 2012. So yes, that's a double back-to-back. He was a semifinalist at the U.S. Senior Amateur in 2010, 11, and 13. He's been the low amateur in the British Senior Open multiple times. He competed in the 2016 U.S. Senior Open, and that's because of the highlight of his senior career, the 2015 U.S. Senior Amateur Championship. By now, you probably know who I'm talking about. Our guest this week at the back of the range is Chip Lutz. Chip, thanks so much for taking the time to join me here at the back of the range. Thank you very much, Ben. Great to be with you. Well, I, uh, I've, I've talked to some of your other senior amateur cohorts throughout season one. I got a hold of McCoy. I got a hold of Elliot, mm-hmm. and we're able mm-hmm. to track you down. Uh, they just told me so many stories about you that most can't be told, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to move past that. We're going to get to the stuff Good. we can share. Um, yeah. before we, before we get started with, um, you know, your, your senior amateur accomplishments that are, that are plentiful, but, uh, I did a little digging as I like mm-hmm. to do is you got a birthday coming up in a couple days, don't you? Actually, I do. It is tomorrow of all of all days. I will be uh, sixty four tomorrow, hey. January eleventh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So okay. I'm an old senior as compared to McCoy and Elliot. Those are youngsters. I know. I know. <laughs> they're they're like on skateboards at the mall, just like wreaking havoc all the time. Now, what you're sixty four? You're going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Have you um, have you shot your age before? 
You know, I haven't, um, but I'm hoping that I can soon. I'm looking for the nearest pitch and putt pretty shortly. <laughs> and hopefully I can, you know, go low on one of those or a putt putt, you know. So I'm I'm looking forward to that day. I got kind of close not long ago and put up a five under, but that really wasn't still I'm I'm uh, I'm not that old yet. <laughs> you got it, yeah, you got a little ways to go. So uh you got yeah. a, you got a birthday coming up. We're not gonna go all the way back to sixty three years ago go for when things started for you but uh we always like to get a little bit of information about how you got into the game i know you have some pretty amazing uh you had some pretty amazing connections early in your experience in golf so give me just a brief history well i i mean going back to about two or three years old my brother wedge and i uh were pretty much born at the redding country clubs so okay hold dad, on hold on i need yeah. to, i need to stop you really quickly here did you say your brother wedge i did yes and uh my brother wedge was in fact his birthday would be today or tomorrow as well we shared the same birthday and i say shared because unfortunately uh we lost him uh just this past year but uh wedge was exactly one year to the day uh older than i was and we really grew up in the game i mean i've got a picture with my dad down to writing country club of of he and i at like age you know, three and four, two and three in our saddle shoes and shorts and, and little blazers on down on the putting green at the sure. Reading Country Club. So, goodness, it was uh, a, a very early start for us. My father was a very good amateur player and played professionally for about a year and then uh, got his amateur status back and, and came back into uh, amateur golf in the Reading, Pennsylvania area. But he really brought us up in the game from the time we were just little guys and, and we were there a lot. I mean, we had special little putters made by Henry Poe's father, Pop Poe. Henry Poe uh, was actually the successor to Byron Nelson at the Reading Country Club. So interesting story. Byron was our head pro from 1937 to 39. Oh, and taught my father to play when he was a young boy at like age nine, 10 years old. So the history is really deep in Reading and Byron has, is a special person and a, and a there's a special connection with he um, you know it at in reading so it's absolutely incredible his first head pro job he won the 37 masters and came to the reading country club with his winnings and stocked the pro shop and remained there through 39 when he won the u.s open at philadelphia country club of all places yeah close close by to reading it was only about 50 minutes away and at the time he knew he was leaving to go to inverness and he was playing with Craig Wood in a playoff uh, for the championship and at the U.S. Senior U.S. Open at uh, Philly Country. And during the course of that round, um, Byron let Craig Wood know that he was going to be leaving. At the time, Craig Wood was the head pro at um, at um, Wingfoot, and he had a first assistant there by the name of Henry Poe. And Henry Poe. Uh, Craig suggested that he speak with Byron and about the upcoming job that would open at the Reading Country Club. Well, sure enough, uh, that interview took place and Henry became selected and became the head pro and was there for some 20 years and ultimately became the the president of the PGA of America. So he had another great history and connection to Reading, but 
between both Henry and Byron, they were both like fathers to my dad and taught him a great deal about the game. So uh, my brother Wedge and I were really kind of following my father's footsteps and just spent a lot of time caddying, playing as juniors and up through the ranks. And, you know, that was our home really away from home. So. That, that's crazy <laughs> that that whole um, job replacement process took place at a major championship. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I I was surprised about that story, but you know, thrilled to hear that because the connections were just really amazing. But yeah, that was during the actual playoff itself. That's that's amazing. So so your names. So you have Chip Wedge. I mean, do you have a brother Larry? I mean, I mean that would kind of be weird, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> no, no, my other brother's Putter. I'm sure. Chip, um, come on, come on, yeah, stop it. Stop yeah, that's it. my younger brother Putter. So. We're, uh, you can tell we're a golfing family. Yeah, I, I mean, that kind of blows all the questions out of the water that I had. Like, so did did you feel like uh, you were going to get into golf? Like, what was that decision made? I guess when the birth certificate shows up and there's chip, wedge, and putter, I mean, it's you're going to well, play actually, golf. Yeah, actually, it's a little different than that. So our, all of our names are John. First names are John with different middle names, family names. Okay. So my father, in his wisdom, he gave us nicknames. And those are really nicknames, Wedge, Chip, and Putt. That's so, so uh, cool. Yeah, and, and that's really how we've been known almost our entire life. But, of course, all of our, all of our legal documents are all John. But, sure. you know, they had to, call, had to call us something different, so we knew to answer to a different name. That's, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, that is that's just a that's such that had to been such a cool childhood and family yeah. experience because i mean you have a you have a built-in foursome and everyone's passionate about golf <laughs> now you you mentioned you mentioned uh byron and did now so did you ever get to get to play with byron nelson at all or like how did like what was your relationship with byron nelson i know he taught your dad but were you close did it what was that like yeah that was it's an interesting story because i never really knew byron because of course he had moved away um in 39 and then worked at inverness till he went on a streak you know retired from the golf business if you will but went into uh to play full-time that year of 45 and had his streak and um from that point he won enough money and decided that he would come off the tour and buy the ranch out in uh, out in the Dallas Fort Worth area so he really had um, you know I had really no connection with him but other than the knowledge that you know there was a relationship with the family because my grandfather my father's father actually was part owner of the Redding Country Club and he was the one that really kind of got my dad involved uh, and and my grandfather, knowing and being a part owner of the club, of the Reading Country Club at one point, had that relationship with Byron. So he's the one that kind of really got it started. And um, But by the time I was growing up, you know, Byron was not in the area and would only visit very infrequently. So it was probably about 19, I think around 91 or so that a book came out that was written uh, on Byron's his autobiography sure. called How I Played the Game. And in that book is a chapter on Reading and some major wins. And it set forth um, the story about his being the head pro at Reading Country Club and his affinity for the town and for the club. And it also, in that chapter, mentioned about a three three quarters of a page story on my grandfather, my father, and my two aunts. And uh, I uh, was actually 
told about that book by Charlie Roddenbush from Pine Valley. And Charlie had mentioned it to me during one of my visits down there and said, hey, you really need to get a hold of this book. Well, of course, I did right away and, and read it cover to cover. And in that book with that chapter, I was really surprised to learn of this story told about my aunt in particular. Right. And um, from that, I got a hold of uh, Byron's mailing address and I wrote him about a three page letter and brought him up to date on all that had happened with the family over the years and introduced myself. And at the very end, I, for some reason, I had uh, asked uh, Byron whether I would ever have an opportunity. I would love to come visit him. Well, sure enough, about three weeks later, I get a return letter in the mail and he welcomed me to come out oh, and spend some time with him. That's amazing. So that was really a, a fabulous experience. It was probably about three months later, we arranged a time for me to fly out there and uh, he came to the airport and picked me up. You got, and, wait a minute. Byron Nelson is just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So I would really, I didn't have a car arranged. It didn't have a hotel. It really didn't have anything, you know, kind of arranged in terms of the travel plans. And I got there and I said, you know, Byron, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know where I'm staying or anything. He said, Oh, he said, no, you're coming with me to the ranch. So I oh loaded my, my stuff up got my clubs and from the baggage and hauled them out to the car and we drove out to the ranch and you're just looking <laughs> over like byron uh, nelson is driving I me know. to his house seriously it was really amazing so we get there and honest to goodness it's just like you know i was he you know his grandson uh, or his son right, I mean, right. it was just like I was part of the family and Peggy was so gracious and we just spent three days together and, you know, and, and golfed at, at the club and had this great match with Peggy and I again, uh, or Byron and Peggy against myself. And we just had them a wonderful, wonderful time. And the visit was really super special. I mean, we were, you know, we had dinner together at the house and I was doing dishes and drying and he was washing that, dishes. That and, is ridiculous. I mean, it's just, That's so yeah. cool. Uh, the one little quick story no, is to keep, I, hey uh, I'm not I'm not shutting you off from this you go you, you, you <laughs> man I mean I mean we'll look chip we'll get to your stuff later okay we're talking okay, no we're problem. talking about Byron Nelson now okay <laughs> yeah so the interesting uh little story was when I stayed there that first night and I was staying in a guest room that had two single beds in it and the room was painted this you know dark green like a master's green and right and on the table was a book about his captaincy of the Ryder cup in uh i think it was 1963 if i recall but there were notes in the books and signatures and things it was on the coffee table between the two beds and and i was just marveling at that and reading it till you know the wee hours but i got up in the next morning and uh Peggy said to me, you know, I'm curious. She said, which bed did you sleep in? The one on the left or the one on the right? And I said, well, I, that's curious you ask, yeah. but I slept in the one on the right. But, you know, why, why do you ask? And she said, well, normally Tom Watson sleeps on the one on the left. Oh my and I'm like, God. seriously, I said, well, would you mind making up two beds? Because I'm going to the other one. There you go. Tonight. <laughs> That's hysterical. So, oh, my oh I just thought that was really kind of funny. So then roll forward all these years later, you know, I end up in the last 
handful of years playing with Tom Watson and practice rounds right. in the U.S. Senior Open and the British Senior Open, things of that nature. His caddy, Neil Oxman, has been an acquaintance, and Neil was kind enough to arrange uh, practice rounds with Tom, and Tom was just uh, such a gracious guy. And um, we had such a wonderful time. So I've done that like three times with Tom, and you know I've told him that story a few times, oh, and he, had he chuckled. Just, yeah. <laughs> so this is yeah. so I uh, this is a phenomenal story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this one. But I, I had to. Oh, sure. oh, so I want to ask you this one. This is kind of this is going to be completely out of left field. But I asked this question to Stuart Haggiston. I asked it to Matt Parziali when they stayed at the Crow's Nest in mm-hmm. Augusta. I said, I know you would never do this. But there had to be all sorts of memorabilia in the crow's nest. Is there anything that looked interesting that you'd be like, wow, I wish I had something like that? So I'm going to transfer that question. Did you see anything in Byron Nelson's house on the ranch that you're like, oh, my God, that memorabilia? What is that? I've never seen that. Is it maybe the book that you saw or was there anything else that just stood out that just said, oh, my gosh, how do you have this? Yeah, it's interesting you asked that, and it just instantly kind of went back to a, a memory I had of his uh, his family room when I was in there and looking here above the uh, fireplace and, and above the mantle was this needlepoint um a piece of you know artwork that was done in in green and here it was given to byron by a good friend of his and it was a needlepoint of the master's scorecard that he had you know that was done uh, and it was above his fireplace and he so greatly uh, cherished that that particular piece oh my and i thought it, that was the most unique thing that i had seen and i thought was really special and the fact that he considered that to be uh so special to him it was his first major win and it was 1937 it was the year april of the year he started the reading country club all those things kind of together and for him to have made special note that that was you know meaningful to him was really really kind of neat that very is, personal that's yeah. that is absolutely amazing um, yeah that was special wow well i uh gosh, anyway we, yeah i know <laughs> we could fill up a whole episode talking about Byron yeah, Nelson, I'm sure but, but we're gonna yeah. need, but let's we're, we're gonna we're gonna need to talk about you chip you've done a couple oh, geez things. that's kind of boring i know i know you've done a couple <laughs> things let's just let's just knock these out and then i know you probably got golf to go play today but let's but let's look at um you grew up in Pennsylvania, obviously, and then mm-hmm. you go, you play, we have, man, we have so many Florida Gators that have come through this podcast. Oh, I know. You, yeah. you, uh, you played at the University of Florida for a couple of years, starting in the early 70s. And, I did. And you had a bunch of guys on this team that a lot of people <laughs> will know. I mean, you have, yeah, you have, of course. Gary, you have Gary Koch and you have a yeah. two-time U.S. Open winner, Andy North. Uh, Fred Ridley works over at the masters now handling a few things we're just, yeah, yeah, we're just kidding. He's actually the, (laughs) he's the man in charge over at the masters. (laughs) He's the man. He's the man. Um, what, uh, Andy Bean, Andy Bean, of course, what do you remember most about your time at, at Florida and, and actually what, what kind of prompted you to maybe like, what was your decision point of, do I want to play pro? Do I want to stay amateur? What was kind of those two years at Florida like for you? Well, it was really a tough time. It was incredibly competitive. I actually was only a walk-on player. We had uh, over 100 guys uh, playing 
in qualifying for you know over 10 rounds of stroke play to to make the cut as a walk-on wow. on this team we were so deep in talent i knew we had a very um you know impressive group of guys going there i was a little bit naive i think uh in, in applying to go to florida from pennsylvania i had a really good record coming out of high school but uh and, and i had seen and read articles about florida but it's not like today you know the internet and everything i mean gosh life back in the early late 60s early 70s was not quite as uh, you weren't as tuned in to all that was going on right. so i'd read a few articles i knew it was a, a good place to go to school that they had a lot of talent and a good team but goodness i get down there and little did i know we would win the ncaa championship with andy Bean, gary coke uh Kevin Morris, friend of mine, yeah. um, uh, Kip Minner, who was from Orlando, was the only senior that graduated in that first year in the champ- national championship team. Um, other guys, were, you know, it's just an incredible uh, depth of, of talent. And I did was successful in making the cut. There were about 10 of us, <clears throat> pardon me, as walk-ons who made the squad. But we, I never really got any time in any events because all the scholarship guys, uh, Phil Hancock was another one, if you remember that name yeah, from yeah. Alabama. Um, ben Duncan, another fellow from the Panhandle. I mean, we just had an incredible group of, of players. But in any event, uh, I played the orange and blue matches on the weekend and continued to work on my game in the first year. And then the second year, made the cut again. And then I started looking around and I'm thinking, you know, we grabbed graduated one out we went to title nine title nine was approved and we went from eight full scholarships they were cutting back to five and we just won the championship and graduate one and i'm thinking well this is going to be a long program yeah and, yeah, and i really kind of had to make a decision i think at that point i came to the reality that the educational part was going to be more important and i really didn't think i was going to play you know any professional golf at it was, uh, and nor did I want that as a as a career in terms of club uh, involvement. Okay. So I really made that decision to quit playing, and I, I did. I, I stopped playing. I left the team, and I stayed at Florida and completed my degree there. Uh, so uh, after finishing, then I went back to Pennsylvania and maintained my amateur focus and really never even looked back or thought about professional golf from, at that time from on. Yeah, that, that's kind of fascinating. Because yeah. I would say that, and I could, I mean, obviously hindsight 2020, looking back, you just never know where life is going to take you. But, you know, right. you could have been at a different school, been a starter, played all four years, had a decent college career, and perhaps, and perhaps you would have given it a shot because you wouldn't have realized maybe, you know, being at Florida, I think you realize really quickly, like, wow, th- these guys are doing this in college. I, this yeah. is what the pro ranks are going to be like. Yeah. Yep, no doubt uh, that had a had an effect on the outcome. I'm yeah. sure, but uh, you know, I really liked Florida. I was involved in a fraternity there and, and Sigma Chi, and you know, I just really enjoyed the school. and And I just kind of realized that you know, it's not really. I'm kind of a homer yeah, generally. Sure. I love traveling. I love playing golf and I love doing that, but kind of on my own uh, schedule and my own uh, for, for my own purpose rather than doing it for a career. So, right. you know, no, I, I've never regretted that decision. Um, this, this amateur career has really been tremendous. I've had the opportunity and the success. So it's really been just about as good as I could imagine anyway. Oh, of course. Well, yeah. Well, your, your senior accomplishments have been just 
absolutely incredible. I mean, we're going to get into a, a few of the the events. We're not going to go through all of them because you know no. I'm, I'm running out of tape. But um, <laughs> but I mean, you have British senior amateur wins to your credit, Canadian senior amateur wins to your credit. I mean, you you won those both in 2011 and 2012 back to back, which is I, I mean I mean that's insane right there. But uh, I want to talk about before and leading up to turning 55 when you became mm-hmm. eligible to play in these did you play a lot as a mid-am what was your you know how did you get your game ready so that when you turned 55 you were off and running yeah it was actually uh, i had actually stopped playing for about five years from 1993 till about 98 wow. and then i realized uh, you know i'd done very well in the philadelphia section and that that's an extremely competitive regional area and um i had done nicely there uh and but i decided in 98 to start you know, seeing what my game would really be made of, especially if I was able to, you know, look at different venues. You know, it's one thing to play local county golf, uh, regional golf, but it's it's important to kind of see what you can do on a bigger level. Sure. And, and these levels are really, you know, trying to test your your skill set see how you measure up with others trying to get a sense for whether you can be competitive and whether you can win so i I think that was a part of a process i had to go through i had to kind of um see where i'd I'd stack up and and if i had enough confidence in and where i was to really uh be successful in that arena and and test it out so kind of early on i got uh, right into qualifying for some u.s mid-ams I don't recall exactly how many I played in, but I made match play, you know, a number of times. Um, the NCR club was one of my, I think the, my first venue where I made it to the second round and Danny green beat me in the second round yeah, there yeah. and took me out. So, um, so I had some early success and I think that was part of the, uh, the test case for, you know, continuing on and realizing that I would have the ability and I'd have the, um, uh, skill set to really, you know, do something and be successful at it. So that really started the campaign. I, I was ultimately 55 in 2010. So it, it took me a number of years to continue to work on my game and then sort of think about work and children and kids growing up and right, getting out, right. out of the nest. So it was a real timing issue then as well. So by the time I got to 55, I was really in a much better position for from a work perspective and family perspective. And my wife, Bonnie, was just really gracious in letting me to continue to run this course and then look forward to you know, turning 55 and flipping the switch and trying to get into another division that where I would be the young guy and be competitive in a, you know, in, in another arena. Right. And, and that was really something I look forward to. And right out of the gate, I, you know, I never really turned back from that point. It's, this will be my 10th year, which is incredible. But, um, I've played in every U S senior amateur since I've been in um, I was, I've been in four semifinal matches so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and after four, the first four years, I was in three semifinals and lost each one of them in a variety of ways, doing everything from shooting six under par 66 against Phil Pleat in, um, at Vinny Giles course in Kinlock in Virginia. And that was kind of a stunning loss. Sure. And after that one, I was like, Oh my gosh, am I ever going to be able to get this done? And, you know, at one point I'm thinking, you know, I've lost in semis three times. And you kind of do some internal reflection and somebody said to me, well, maybe you're not 
really a good match play player. <clears throat> and I had to stop and think. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Now, in four years, who who else has won as many matches as I have That's, there, there you <laughs> to go. get to where I am? I can do this. <laughs> you can do that, yeah. So, yeah. So it wasn't until a couple years later, and I was running out of uh, exemptions. But in 2015, I, I managed to, you know, focus uh, enough and 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 make a great run at uh, Hidden Creek and and finished it off. And that was really, you know, the cap the capping of <laughs> what I thought had been a great run. Oh, and, of course. Uh, it was incredible. So I had, you know, a number of other victories early, but I did manage the following year in 16 to win my third British. And, uh, and I also managed to get four silver medals in the uh, British Senior Open so that the silver medal is for the low amateur in, in the Open, Senior Open. So I was presented with four of them over the course of, I think, six years. So it's been really fantastic. I just beyond my expectations but you know success sometimes breeds success and once i you know, i got going and and managed to you know do well i just kind of kept the pedal down and kept it going <laughs> that's phenomenal so that, i've been just level. really incredibly yeah. fortunate yeah you know um you mentioned you know starting and uh, you mentioned starting at 55 you you mm-hmm. kind of dove into a little bit about you know the work work life balance um, you know, we have a lot of listeners that 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 reach out with with questions that they would like me to ask some of our guests. And uh, a friend of the show, uh, uh, Adam out in California, he reached out. He's like, I want to know how these elite amateurs are mm-hmm. able to shoot these scores and win these tournaments. You know, they have they have jobs and wives and kids and dogs that pee on the rug just like I do. Yeah. How yeah. How, do, how do they do that? Is it just a? Is there just a? different level of talent or do they have some process so i i know that the talent levels are different across all levels of amateur golf um but can you share a little bit of what maybe a regular week during the season when you're not traveling but like what does a regular week look like or what does a week look like that you're using to prepare for the next tournament yeah, that's those are those are different weeks. <laughs> of course, yeah. So, so and, and I don't, and I don't ask you. I'm not asking you to go through your entire yeah, no, litany, no. But like, can you share something that maybe you know the guy that's a three handicap that is really needing that really needs to play their best to qualify for a U.S. Mid Am that, right. that's never been to a U.S. Mid Am that thinks, hey, if I could just get there once, that would be a thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, sure, absolutely, and it is, and uh, I certainly wish everyone that opportunity because it's uh it's a unique and special experience so um i really i think it's real personal in nature i can tell you what i do and others may have different personal experiences and i guess it sort of comes from you know knowing yourself and knowing your own skill set and and your level of focus and and your you know your desire to you know work a schedule and be on some kind of a regiment because when i look at my schedule i really have to kind of map this out and it requires a bit of uh, you know preparation in a methodical way so that you can really try to get to the right place at the right time you obviously don't want to be too tired so you have to go through a series of of um preparational phases and for me it takes me generally like a couple of weeks to if i'm going to look you know, to go into a major two to three weeks of, you know, methodical processing and, and preparation where you can work on, you work on all aspects of your game and, 
And I always really feel as though I need to balance practice and play because you can practice all day long, but you're always going to be hitting it on a flat lie. And, right. and, and you can repeat your mechanical swing and develop tempo and realize, you know, what your distances are. And that's really critical with every club to know exactly how far you hit each club. Make sure you have the proper um, gapping among all your clubs. Sometimes you have one club and you think, oh, I'm hitting this a little bit too far. Uh, and I'm, or one I'm hitting too short, well, you probably should check the lofts on those clubs and make sure you have the proper gap spacing and get somebody to look at that because clubs bend during the course of the year with the impact that you make in the turf over time. So you need to kind of really assess and make sure your equipment is properly set and then work yourself into a phase of, you know, um, repetition and practice but then you have to augment that with play because that's where you're going to get the side hill lies the uphill the downhill the compound lies the different um you know bunker shots that you're going to have the the lines you need to take on certain off the tee and how you want to shape a shot in one way or another so you really have to work that aspect as well and then think about putting putting and short game i mean there's another whole phase where you need to focus on you know when you think about hitting greens and regulation you're gonna make 36 you know long shots drives and approaches and then you're gonna have 36 putts if you're on the green and two putt everyone right. so that that means putting's half your half your scoring of course. you know goodness don't forget to really spend a lot of time on putting in terms of alignment and and speed control and you know distance and things of that nature so you know there's there's a lot of phases and i try to break them down into the long game the short game in terms of practice regimen and constantly analyze through through playing and practicing and whether it's nine holes you know listen this is a this is a tough game to to master nobody ever does completely right. uh, but you need to find the balance that you can execute the all the shots you're presented with in competition and by doing it repetition in terms of practice and then play uh, supplementing it with play is is really critical to to get all the other aspects of the game so I, I really try to measure my practice some days I'll just be practice only then I might play the next day and then I may start mixing it in a little of each and again time's a big constraint so whether it's nine holes whether it's hitting balls for an hour um, it, there there are ways to at least stay in the game during the week when you're working when you have dinners to go to to kids things to do right. but if you can either get up early and practice in the morning and get to work or you can you know go there at lunch and hit balls or maybe you can sneak out for nine at the end of the day i mean there's a there's a way to kind of work that in your schedule just like working out and if you can kind of fit that in in a in a way that's sequenced enough that it can give you the balance you you look for and then if you find any particular area of weakness then work on that um, you know, as you get closer, you know, to competition. So right. I know that's a long answer. No, but, no, you're uh, fine. That's this fine. is a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Well, hey, that's that. You're you're a yeah. you're a USGA senior champion, or and British and Canadian. So you're the, you're the guy to talk to. Yeah. Now a lot of but, these tournaments involve match play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny you're talking about. It. You were kind enough to call me yesterday to do a little pre-planning for this episode and. You know, Chip, you're 
you can't be this nice of a guy. I mean, seriously. <laughs> and and what's funny is that I, I'm a big fan of John Feinstein and one of his great books. I mean, he has a lot of great books, but, you know, one of them is called The First Major. And he alluded to the fact that maybe some guys are too nice and that they lack that killer instinct and maybe they shouldn't. Mm. They didn't win as much as they should have. So I, I want to ask you this question. In match play, are mm-hmm. you – the nice guy out there that's just yucking it up and being buddies with everyone and then just quietly, you know, kicking their butts. But like, like what's your persona on the golf course? Do you go dark or are you just the same way all the time? I I try to be the same way. Um, Obviously there's a lot of internal stuff that goes on that you try to separate from the external (laughs) uh, view or image that you may portray, but obviously, um, you know, different, things happen at different times and your emotions kind of can run a little hot or cold and you can express yourself differently at different times depending on the day and the 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 competitor you're playing against so you know you have to sort of measure that i guess and see what you think might be the best strategy for a given situation so uh you know i've, I've come up against some some tough hombres and or some guys that are cussing and carrying on and you know i i, I kind of take different tacks i guess depending on what what uh, the circumstances uh, present but nonetheless i think my uh hopefully my even temperedness um is helpful you know in the long run and i and i think uh i would tend to be more along those lines as compared to and, and you know i like to acknowledge guys that make great shots or right. do things and i i i'm complimentary i'd like to be supportive in a way but yet you I like still to still kick it. the yeah. crap out yeah. of them. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there certainly is that a burn going on, but yeah. I, I try to overcome that and at least be uh, complimentary and, and um, uh, you know, appreciative of, you know, the things that they do and try to say nice things. <laughs> don't be, uh, don't be nasty. So, you know, you know, I still want to be friends with everybody in the end of the day sure, so, uh, sure. and, and make it a good experience. And, and, you know, losing sometimes is very difficult and you got to swallow hard and, you know, congratulate everybody yeah. and, uh, you know, and look forward to the next opportunity. So, um, but th- those are the things that drive you that, and of course the losses are the ones that really give you the fuel to do better next time and, and try to learn from those experiences. So, sure. but yeah, yeah, I try to be a good guy as best I can. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, don't we all? We all we all yeah. try and do that. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask just a couple of questions about the Senior Open in 2016. But before we get to that, um, mm-hmm. you, 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 we we glossed over the Canadian Amateur, the British Senior mm-hmm. Amateur. Um, what's been you know what prompted you to first pop over across the pond? Um, you know what was your first? I mean. Had had you been over there to the UK before playing in these tournaments? Have you done many? Yeah. So so what 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 do you like so much about going over to the UK and playing Lynx golf? Well, I I just love the history of the game, and I, sure. I think you know it all really started over there. And and when I got there in 1998, it's actually the first year I started playing. I joined three other local guys from Reading um, who were older than me generally, and one of them is from uh, Sky Scotland. Uh, George McLeod and George is, you know, in, encouraged me to come along with he and Rod Eakin and David Jones, three guys from uh, Berkshire Country Club in Reading. And I joined these fellas and I just had the time of my life and I just could not believe how much fun it was to play over there. I tend to have, you know, a lower ball flight and um, okay. although okay. I can hit it higher, I'm a good, I, I, 
sort of feel as though I'm a good ball striker and, and solidly hit balls in wind and, you know, the ground conditions are different over there, but it seemed as though my game suited that style of play. And I'm, I'm adaptable uh, in my game to, to a variety of course conditions and things. And I think that's what really kind of intrigued me is that it was a different style of play. And, uh, and the history of the game over there was like no other. Right. And, and I just found it to be very intriguing. And that was my first indication that um, it was something I would really love to do and, and, uh, and, and try that as an opportunity. So when I was given the chance to, uh, after having made the cut in the U.S. Um, senior amateur, that gave me an exemption to play uh, over there in the British senior amateur. So I took advantage of that first year and I finished second to one of my rivals, Paul Simpson in the first year at Walton Heath. And after the, my experience at Walton Heath, I thought, you know, this is, I love this. This is good stuff. So I came back then in 11 and 12 and won consecutive years at uh, Royal Port Rush, which is going to be the site of this year's open. And that was phenomenal experience to, to win there. And then to back it up with a win in Wales at McCannis, and that was 12. And then that sort of propelled me into the British Senior Open exemptions and then the silver medals, and that gives you exemptions. And, you know, you just kind of was able to keep that rolling for a number of years. And then most recently in 16, um, winning again, they gave me the exemption to 17, and last year was the – British Senior Open at St. Andrews. And that really was spectacular. A lot of my family and friends had come over. We had like 19 people join us and we just had a big time. And that probably was my, my, uh, Swilkin Bridge Swan Song. Nice, know? nice. Well, yeah, because so, you and McCoy and Elliot were all over there yep, together, and we were. You three, yeah, you, three you, you, you three guys running around in St. Andrews is just uh, that's that sounds like a made for yeah, TV Yeah, that's movie. trouble. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, <laughs> that that's perfect that you just said that because you know when I talked to I can't remember if it was McCoy or Elliot, but one of them told the story about them getting stuck someplace out in Scotland with a flat tire. And, oh, and that was Mike. Yeah. There, okay. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, did, can you think of any one of your trips that you've been over to the UK where something went haywire with lodging or travel or, um, Oh. Any, oh, I think you got one. Yeah. We got one? Oh, yeah, I, I heard. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. We were, uh, my, it, this was at the British Senior Amateur at uh, Royal Port, Port Rush. Okay. So this was the site of my first victory. And my brother Putter um, had just turned 50 with a couple of his buddies, Larry um, and uh, Bill. And the four of us were traveling a week in advance of the British and Larry and Bill were going to fly back home and Bill West and Larry Schultz, those boys were going to leave, but Putter, my brother was going to stay on and caddy for me in the British senior amateur. Perfect. So we get, we're traveling around the countryside over there and we get the port rush in the little village and we're at this B and B and we turn up there for our first night and the shopkeeper, the innkeepers like, I don't know. He says, where, where have you guys been? He's like, you guys are supposed to be here yesterday. And oh, I'm like, no. 
And I, and I thought, and he's like, I'm ready to give the rooms away. And you know, the place is a small village there and right. there were, the, the place was packed. It was in the summer months and that's their high season. <laughs> and, and fortunately he did not give it away, but he was so, uh, he was really not happy with me. Of course. <laughs> and I thought I co- totally blew the whole thing and didn't have a place to stay the first night there. But fortunately we calmed this guy down and we, we convinced him that it's all okay. I'll pay you for the extra right. night. Right. You know, yeah, it's my my fault, my problem. You know, my fault. I'll you know, I apologize. What can we do? You know, da, 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 da. so next thing you know, he he said, "Okay, okay, well, well I, I got the room yet, but I'm ready to give it away." And I had other people lined up, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So we really dodged a bullet. We managed to get the rooms and stay at the place, and and we were on board for the tournament. And by virtue, by good fortune, I end up winning, and this guy. Gets, you know he's really happy then of course oh, and yeah. wants pictures and oh yeah now he's your best buddy yeah. yeah right yeah this oh, is the place gosh. this is the place where chip lutz slept so yeah of course oh my gosh yeah so too funny but almost got uh got ourselves in trouble right out of the gate on that one wow wow <laughs> well these these successes you know lead into obviously many more tournaments you get to play the u.s senior open and then we we come back mm-hmm. we come back to tom watson because you mm-hmm. and McCoy and Elliot got to join him for a practice round at Scioto, and and that's that's just in, incredible. But you know, you kind of have a somewhat of a previous relationship with them. Yeah, yeah. You I know, had played with Tom before. Yeah, yeah and and I know, uh, you know, I know when you're in your press conference at, at at that event, you mentioned that you're always watching and observing the actions of of the game's true champions. And you know, at yeah. the time, you're looking up to him. Do you kind of feel now that there are some? maybe some senior am rookies that have reached out to you and they look at you as a guy that's been there, done that and has the experience. Do you, what's your kind of place within those tournaments now? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I, you know, those are one year at a time kind of things in the senior open. And uh, unless you qualify in or, or you're exempt, um, you know, they're, they, they're difficult certainly to get to. Sure. I've been most fortunate to have one like the U S senior amateur where you're exempt for one year in the open the next year. And I've, uh, or if you're low am in that year's event, you're, you're good for another year's, but those are the only two exemptions. So they're very rare. And, um, uh, otherwise is quite difficult to qualify in. So, um, I, you know, I've, I was lucky to play in two U S and about six British senior opens, but that's been the extent. And I'm not sure how many more I'll have the opportunity to play in, but right. they were incredible experiences. Uh, I, I do have occasionally, you know, guys come up to me and say, Oh my gosh, you've been so you know fortunate to do it. How'd you do it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain that. I mean, it, uh, but you know, it's it's a sort of a course of hard work and good fortune, and you know, just uh, I, I don't know, I don't know how you know to how I differentiate myself versus others. But there's certainly many other people who have been successful in the game, and I, I'm I'd like to be considered one of them. But um, you know, the the formula is no magic secret or magic pill. It's just um, it's a lot of hard work and good fortune. But uh, yes, yeah, so I have had some folks say you know that's amazing what'd you do how'd you do it you know we go through you know practice regimen things that we just talked about stuff like that and then being at the right place and right time and getting getting a breakthrough moment and then you know trying to use that as leverage to kind of keep keep it going of course what um 
So let me ask you, you know, you're, you're, you're turning, we're recording this episode on January 10th. Tomorrow's your birthday. Yeah. You're turning 64. What you've accomplished so much in your senior uh, amateur career, what, um, what still keeps you going? What, what's on the radar for 2019? I mean, you have nothing, nothing to prove. You've won everything you can really win. Is there, I mean, you've won Crump uh, in Pine Valley yeah. as a senior. Um, yeah. Um, let's see, Coleman senior. Have you yeah. checked? You uh-huh. won that. So, yeah. um, you know, what else? I mean, what are you going to take? I up? Know. You're going to take tough. up, you're going to take up chess. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the magic question. I kind of ask myself that at the end of every year and the beginning of the next. And, okay. uh, it's just, uh, um, a year by year situation for me at this point. I, I, you know, said to myself and my wife and others many times, you know, I think I've had enough, but yet I, get to the end of the year and I go, I'm ready to lay them down for a bit and take a break. And I, and I've done that year over year. And I always am happy to get to the end of the season and finally go, you know, give me yeah. a, yeah. <laughs> I need a timeout. But then it also, after I'm away from it for a month or two, it reminds me when I start up again, you know, the body hurts a little more. <laughs> it's a little harder to find my game again. I've got to work right. at it. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it is a lot of work, but it's a lot of, a lot of joy. And once you get back in and you're in that competitive mode. So I, I find it difficult to give up, but yet at the same time, I know that there's this probably my this, runway is getting shorter. Yeah, you know? this, this damn game just gets holding and you just can't, you know, you can't I know. get rid of it. I know. I'm trying to think of what else I would do. You know, I can fish for a while. I can go, you know, I'd like to spend more time with grandkids and that kind of yeah. stuff. But after a while, I still has that, that pull. You yeah. know that pull is still there. <laughs> no, it's hard to it's hard to get rid of. Um, it is no doubt. So I'm likely to continue to play, and again, maybe in more selected events, and you know, try and pick and choose some places and do some things a little different than I've done before, and you know, just try to enjoy it. Uh, I you know, it's been a great run, and hopefully, there's a little left. And if not, it's it's been tremendous. Yeah, absolutely, been very fortunate. I forgot to ask you this one question about your senior mm-hmm. amateur victory in 2015. Other than the exemptions and the trophy and all the yeah. nice little perks, mm-hmm. can you think of a perk that maybe most people wouldn't know that you had after winning that uh, after winning that tournament? Well, I think this was probably covered, but I'll say it again. Um, I'll repeat it, and I beg beg forgiveness for repeating it. No, but no, no, the no. biggest uh, the biggest thing for me was really was my mom. My mom um, really has never, had never seen me play before in competitive golf. My mom was so great and always dropping us off and picking us up from kids on up and being super supportive, you know, of, of all of us in the game. But uh, it was, it, it was not until that final match that um, my brother putter who was back home in Reading, uh, I said to him you know mom has never seen me play and I was approaching that final match I broke through to the semis and got to the final match the next day and I asked putter and I called my mom asked if she'd like to come down and she was thrilled so my brother putter picked up my mom at like five in the morning and drove to Atlantic city down to the course. And they were there for the tee off and watched me play my entire final match. And that was the most special thing, you know, for, for me and and to complete that and have my mom present for one of my biggest victories was, uh, was really something special. That's uh, a, she was, that's an awesome story. That's an awesome story. Nothing wrong about sharing that one. So, um, (laughs) 
Yeah. Let's see. We have so we have a small segment at the back of the range called the Quick Bucket. These are just really quick little fun mm-hmm. little questions and trying to try and see what your answers are going to be. Um, let me ask you this one: Would you rather play a tournament without golf tees or without wedges? Ooh, without golf tees. Absolutely. Would you rather rewrite the ending of Tin Cup so that Roy McAvoy wins the U.S. Open, or would you completely eliminate the existence of Caddyshack 2? I think I'd probably get rid of Caddyshack 2. Yeah, there, everyone's <laughs> that's pretty popular. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Um, would you have rather won the PGA Championship, or would you rather have played on two losing Ryder Cup teams? Wow. Oh, I'd rather win the PGA any day. I'd rather take a victory rather than a participation trophy. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, let's see. Would you rather play Blades for the rest Although, of your Although, you know what? If you if you think about this, now I'm maybe second-guess myself because if you play on two Ryder Cups, that means that you have won a lot of this stuff. See? So you may have won more than the PGA well, if you're on a Ryder Cup. And, so. see, and see, I always have, I've told previous guests when I asked that question, I said the right answer is you want to win the PGA because winning the PGA right. is going to get you the points to get on the Ryder Cup team. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it's, a tough one now. I know. I, I want to. I want to go back and change my answer. I think. See, see. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, would you rather? At, I know this at this time. Would you rather play blades for the rest of your career or persimmon woods for the rest of your career? Ooh, blades for sure. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't give as. I wouldn't be giving up as much. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, When's the last time you played Persimmon Woods? What, 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 what's the last time? Oh, my gosh. My son pulled them out probably four or five years ago. He, we were down in the basement. He pulled those out of an old bag, and I found a shag bag, and uh, the shag bag had a whole bunch of, of uh, balada balls. Well, little did I know, he stuffed a bunch of balada balls in, one of, in my golf bag and his, and then he, he stuck the driver, my old Persimmon driver, with a head cover. I didn't know he had it with him. Oh, nice. And he pulled balls in the club out when we were on the course like the next day. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So that was a, that was so much fun that's to try a, to hit that again. It was incredible. That's a, that's a fun experience. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't that, that long ago. Oh yeah. my gosh, balladas. Oh, I just yeah. think back to the, uh, oh gosh, what were they? They're the Max Fly HT 100s. Oh, yeah. Yep. Those things yep. Are terrible. Spalding um, dots. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> come on, Chip. There's not enough people yeah. listening that know what spalding dots are. Well, I, I think Elliot McCoy are probably listening right now, so they're just like laughing right now. But, uh, Chip, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, the door is always open if you want to come back and be a future guest because your stories are phenomenal. Oh, thanks, Ben. But, uh, but thanks so much for joining me here today at the back of the range and happy birthday. I know this is going to air after you turn 64, but happy birthday. I'll be the first well, one to tell you. you. And yeah. um, and I'm sure you're going to – I know you're down here in South Florida. You come down, so we need to get together. Well, let's do that. Uh, it's been a great pleasure of mine to be with you today. So thank you for including me, and uh, look forward to seeing you sometime in person. And another great episode here at the Back of the Range. Special thanks to Chip Lutz for joining us this week. We will see you again next time here at the Back of the Range.